Okay. Well, uh, this is week five, week five of our Greater Than series. We're almost through it, uh, and in this series we've been looking at all the things and talking about all the things that Jesus is greater than, because one of the things that I've been noticing and really wanted to talk about, as you know by now, um, is, you know, that sometimes Christianity has some things that are attached to it uh, that maybe uh, sort of hold us back or our ability to sort of get the message out and and maybe give people a little bit of, I don't know, struggle to get there. Um, and so my hope for this series was twofold. One was, uh, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, that maybe you would just learn something new, look at something from a bit of a different perspective uh, over this series. And if you're not somebody who's following Jesus yet, that maybe one of the barriers uh, to that would just be broken down. And we talked about a few of those different things that Jesus is maybe associated with, but isn't uh, you know, the hub of the wheel, the center of our faith. We talked about, you know, buildings and how sometimes people look at the church as the building, as this central thing. But really, we understand it's, it's an important place because it's a, it's a place that we gather, uh, but it's certainly not the center of our faith. We've uh, talked about Scripture and how uh, one of the beautiful things about Scripture is it's a recording of things, whether you're talking Old Testament or New, of things that already happened of ways that God provided for us, of things that Jesus taught us, and that those things would still have happened even if they weren't recorded. Um, we talked last week a little bit about politics, and surprisingly, I didn't get too many emails. So that was great, um, and I'm st still here. Uh, so um, that's, I mean, maybe great. Um, and so we sort of talked a little bit about how when we filter our uh, theology through our ideology first, meaning the things that we think about God, we first go through the things that we just think about. Uh, we can get into a little bit of trouble, and one of those arenas that we do that the most uh, is politics. And this week, we are going to talk about leaders in the church, Christian leaders. And this one required me to be a little bit more self-reflective. Um, because, of course, saying Jesus is greater than its leaders makes sense, uh, obviously. But we are seeing a lot of things right now in our world and a lot of Christian leaders that are maybe creating uh, barriers to people to getting to know Jesus. And, you know, we, you know, sort of the West was generally founded on a lot of these Christian morals and ideas. Uh, and a lot of those things have carried through. But as we know, sort of as time has gone on, Maybe some of those things are being dropped a little bit by the wayside. And at the same time as that, we're finding out that a lot of people that were in faith leader positions um, are publicly sort of uh, falling off. Um, and although, and this is really important to talk about, <laughs> the majority of people who are leaders in Christianity or leaders in the church um, are really great at their jobs and wonderful and faithful people. They're just not the ones we seem to be hearing about a lot of the time, right? Whether it's a couple of documentaries in the last two or years or so that have come out on things that churches have done, whether or not you hear somebody locally about a, a, a pastor or something um, like that. You know, we've uh, talked about over the past year um, the impact that church had in things like residential schools. Uh, we kind of get this kind of big view, and in the news, Christian leaders right now just aren't getting a very good name. And we're actually coming up against that, and I don't know if you've ever had conversations 
like this. Uh, but what will happen is people will come to me and go, hey, I read this or I saw this happen. This person did this. You know, what do you think about that? Or, or I saw this, this news article about this church that did blank, blank, blank. How does that compute with the Christian faith? What does that sort of look like? And so this morning, we're going to dig into that concept a little bit. Because when somebody asks you, and this is always the case, whether or not you're in a relationship with somebody, whether you're married, whether you have a best friend, whether it's uh, a teacher at your school, whatever that looks like, so often when people ask you a question, that's not actually the question they're asking, right? It's usually a little deeper than that. It's something different. It's something down here that has caused that question to be asked. So when people read a news story about a Christian leader that has fallen or a church that has done something and they associate that, they might come to you and go, you know, what do you think about that? But here's really the questions that they're probably asking deep in their mind, even if they don't articulate it. The first one is, is Jesus okay with Christian leaders acting poorly? That's actually one of the questions that people are asking. When somebody says, what do you think about that? Especially, you know, as a pastor, people won't come up to me and go, are you just allowed to do whatever you want? Because people would think that's rude. But, but when they ask that question, what they're saying is, is Jesus okay with Christian leaders acting poorly? And then the second question, which is maybe sometimes harder to answer, but really strikes to the heart of what people are saying, they'll ask, how can you still believe in this Jesus after everything that's happened, after everything that you've heard about, after knowing that these things have gone on, how can you still hitch your wagon to Christianity? And those are two really deep and tough questions. And so this morning, we're just going to try to just scratch the surface and tackle those just a little bit. Uh, and we're going to do that by continuing the story right off. So we just did this this beautiful thing with the kids, the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But the very next scripture passage in Matthew reads like this, in Matthew 21, starting in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, this is Jesus, and, and sort of, sometimes we read this, he says, he said to them. He said to a lot of them in a big space, in a very loud room. So I'd imagine he probably didn't say, my house will be called the house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. He probably said, my house will be called a house of prayer and you're making it a den of robbers. Sorry, I should have warned James I was going to yell. Because he actually needed to get over everybody. And also, when you're walking around flipping tables and you're angry, you're probably not calm, talking in a super calm, collected voice because you're a little emotional. And so we want to read it that way. We want to say, when he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers, Jesus is a little bit hot under the collar here. Why is he upset? Well, there's a couple of reasons. 
And before we sort of get into that, let's get into this. Many of us have heard this story before, Jesus overturning the tables. Sometimes, unfortunately, this story is um, used a little bit out of context. Our next sermon series is called Out of Context. There's an unintentional plug, but there we go. Um, Because sometimes people will read this and go, well, Jesus got angry, so I can get angry. Okay. (laughs) Whoa, hold on a second. Sometimes we focus on that part of the story, but let's talk about what really got Jesus upset here. So every year, pilgrims from all over uh, from all over the ancient Near East would flock to Jerusalem for Passover. Okay? People would come from near and far to come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And one of the things uh, that they needed was they needed a kosher animal to sacrifice at the temple. And because so many of these people were traveling such long distances, it just wasn't feasible to bring a kosher animal that long, right? You've got, you've got your family, and you've got your cart, and you've got your kids that are running up and running back, and your donkeys or whatever you're traveling with, and then you've got this little dove in a cage that you're trying to keep alive. It was a challenge. It was a little bit more difficult, right? And so what would happen is that they would actually um, sell kosher doves and, and animals so that the pilgrims, once they got there, could purchase them and use them. And this was the same with uh, the bit about the money changers, right? So uh, the temple used a specific type of currency that wasn't used everywhere else because they didn't want the currency in the temple to be symbolized by uh, like a person or an idol, like Caesar. So you would exchange your money for a temple currency that didn't have an idolatrous symbol on it, and that's how you would pay your temple tax. And so sometimes when we look at this story, we think, well, those people, those terrible, horrible people, they were selling things at the temple. That's the problem. Not necessarily. Actually, there's many theologians, including uh, this one, Leon Morris, who would say it was a, uh, a useful and even a necessary function. Because in the law, you needed the, the right money and the right animal in order to enter the temple and worship in the way that God had called the Jews to do through their list at that time. And so actually, this is something that was needed. They needed this process. So why is Jesus so upset? Well, two reasons, and some of you know this already, so I'm probably not saying new information to everybody. The first one is, is that they just kind of got in the way. So I've got a map here of the temple that we're going to toss up. And we're going to look at this map because what we're going to see here uh, is that you've got, uh, uh, you've got the, so the walls and then you've got that inner part and that's where the temple is and the court of women and the holy of holies and all that. Do you see that, that big blank space all the way around? Yes. Okay, good. Okay. A little interactive. Okay. That's called the, uh, the court of the Gentiles. And so a lot of the pilgrims that would have been coming in, people who weren't Jewish but were still coming, would come to worship and they had a specific area where they could do that. It was the court of the Gentiles. And that's where all this stuff got set up. So not only one, uh, are they, well, we're going to get to the other thing in a second. So, so the first thing is, is that all of these money changers 
and salespeople for all these animals are set up inside the worship space, which is a problem because especially as a Gentile, you're not allowed to go too much deeper in. So you've come all this way to worship and to pray, but you can't because it's a marketplace in the place that you're supposed to do that. So that's, that's the first thing that Jesus is upset about. He's going, you've turned this area that's supposed to be an area of worship into an area of sale. The sale isn't necessarily the problem. The location is. Do you see how those two things are different? Yeah? Okay. Here's the second part. Now, this is the part that's bad, right? Everybody that was selling these things was price gouging. They were doing it for profit, right? You uh, have a pilgrim who's come a long way for the Passover feast. They're going to pay whatever they're told to be paid. Whether that dove is worth $2 or $10 or $100, it doesn't really matter. You made it there. It's like, you know, like when you go to Disney or Canada's Wonderland and a hot dog is like $14.50. And you're like, not only is this not a good hot dog and I don't want to eat it, and two roller coasters later it's going to be gone. But they wouldn't let me bring in my own sandwich with kale, so I have to eat this. It's kind of like that. They didn't really have a choice. Once they're there, they're there. They have to buy these things. And so the money changers and the, the dove and the animal sellers were setting their own prices, and they were crushing people. They were taking advantage of people that were coming to worship. So Jesus is upset for two reasons. One, location. Two, you're just making money. Really, really upset. And, and who's he upset with? Well, <laughs> this is the interesting part, right? The, the leaders, the, the Sadducean leaders, Okay, so for example, let's say that, that type of thing was going to happen here. For those of you that are at home, pretend your living room or your office or your bed or wherever you're watching this is the sanctuary. Let's not make, and, and then we'll, here we'll, we don't have to pretend we're in one. Okay. Nobody comes in and sets tables up for things to be sold or things to be purchased or things to be exchanged unless they go through some type of leadership structure. They're going to talk to me. They're going to talk to one of the elders. They're going to talk to James. They're going to talk to Steve. They're going to talk to Christine or Julia. They're going to talk to somebody on our staff um, that's going to say, yeah, it's okay for you to do that, right? And so if, if we were to have that happen here in this room, ultimately, because I happen to be the person at the top of the org chart right now, uh, it would be my fault, <laughs> That would be on me. People would be able to look at me and go, why did you allow that to happen? Because somebody actually had to allow the leaders to come in and set up shop there. And so Jesus is upset because they're there. He's upset because they're price gouging. And he's upset because the leaders of that worship space invited those people in. Which means that 2,000 years ago, <laughs> temple leaders, church leaders, we're not doing a good job all of the time. Yet here we are all this time later. So even back then, you could have asked the question, if the leaders are doing such a poor job sometimes, why would you still hitch your wagon to Jesus? Well, that's why the second part of this story is so important. We 
always talk about that first part, right? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard about or heard reference to tables flying or seen, you know, a pastor uh, or somebody doing an object lesson where they make sure the table's full of stuff and then they flip it and it makes a big noise and stuff flies everywhere. But here's that beautiful second part of the story that I want to make sure that we actually hold on to as we leave. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he, Jesus, did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, as kids were shouting earlier today, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? This is the, the church leaders, those Sadducean leaders talking to Jesus. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of, have you never read, and then he quotes Old Testament, from the lips and children of infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And then he, Jesus, left them and went out to the city of Bethany where he spent the night. So what did Jesus do? Despite the leaders kind of not doing a great job, despite those church leaders or those leaders in the temple that were supposedly trying to help people worship by selling them something that weren't doing a great job, what happens? Jesus still rises above them anyway. He's in that court. He's, he's not in that middle court. He's in that Gentile court. He's in the court with the people that are the outcasts of society, on the margins, people who made the long journey but probably didn't have a lot other than what got them there. And Jesus went, I'm spending time with you. And the more people that came up to him, the more people that got to come up to them. And he would heal people and he talked to them and he treated them well. Because no matter what was happening around him in that leadership bubble, Jesus was able to rise above that. And not only that, all the people around started to notice. The blind and the lame noticed the situation. They saw something in Jesus. The kids, right, kids are so smart. We know this. We, those of us that have kids know that if we're just quiet long enough, we learn something. <laughs> right, kids are so smart. And the kids said, Hosanna to the son of David. The kids were so excited that he was there. The temple, the very existence or structure that was to hold God's presence, even though it was not particularly being run well in that moment by the leaders, none of that mattered because Jesus, in his message, in his mercy, in his grace, in his power, still rose above it anyway. Why? Because church leaders aren't the hub of the wheel. Because the leaders in the church aren't the thing. Because Jesus is greater than them too. Right? And this is huge because I've made a couple of jokes over the past couple of weeks like who's your favorite pastor and who's your favorite this and whatever. And we can talk about that and we can talk about who we like to listen to preach or a church that we think runs a good program. But at the end of the day, whether or not that program is run well or not, or that sermon is preached well or not, or somebody does something good or not, and, and believe me, I am, like, I hold stuff back here. 
I'm not sitting here saying I'm super proud of a lot of the things that I've read and seen over the last few years done by Christian leaders. It's upsetting as a, as a Christian, as a faith leader, and honest to goodness, as if you're sitting here and you have belief in Jesus, you're a leader in the church too. Whether you look at yourself that way or not, you are. That gets me going. That gets me upset. And so when people say to me, is it okay with Christians, is Jesus okay with Christians acting poorly? I go, no. <laughs> He's not. Jesus is never really okay with the leaders of the church acting poorly or messing up or doing things that they're not supposed to do. A great example, right there. Inexcusable. But then he sets the example right off the bat of what to do next. And then that second question, that second question that we asked there, how can you still believe in Jesus after everything that's happened? Well, because Jesus has always been greater than the leaders in the church. <laughs> since the first day, since that minute in the temple courts, right? Can you imagine, like, a, a, right, you're, you're flipping tables, there's money going, there's a live animals getting flipped on a table, which means they're flying and they're running and there's stuff. And despite all this, Jesus is still the hub. People are still drawn to him. People still see him through the chaos shine through. And so if you are a believer in Jesus and you have maybe a little bit too closely hitched your wagon to a particular church leader or a particular person, instead of Christ, I would challenge you to just take a peek and see if that's something that you're doing. Just have a look, right? Because we've all got that pastor that we really liked and then heard something and gone, oh, well, maybe everything they said wasn't true. And that's when our faith starts to crumble. Because actually in those moments, what you're identifying is that your faith wasn't in Christ, it was in a person, which is bad. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not what Jesus called us to do, right? And if you're not a believer, you're thinking about it, you're not sure, but maybe this is one of those hurdles, the perceived hypocrisy of Christian leaders versus what Jesus did, here's my encouragement to you. You're right about how you're feeling. Jesus isn't particularly thrilled when Christian leaders act out and do the things that they're not supposed to do. But, but, for 2,000 years, Jesus has still transcended that anyway. He has still risen above it. And even in a moment of chaos, when it was happening right in front of him, he was still able to do it. And if you are hitching your wagon to a Christian leader instead of things that you're reading in the Gospels or in your Bible, I would challenge you to reorient yourself as well. Because Jesus is greater than any of us or any church leader you're ever going to meet. And he always was. Amen? Okay, let's pray together. God, thanks so much. God, we pray sometimes that we're thankful for the opportunity and the responsibility that we have to serve you, 
to teach others about you. Uh, But God, we know that we blow it. And we mess up. And we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, God. And we know that we look at other people that sometimes we look up to that do the same thing. And Lord, I just pray that while we're working through that disappointment and that sort of uneasy feeling that happens when that sort of goes on, um, that we would be refocused on you. That we would be refocused on your son. That we would remember (laughs) that it was never about me or us in the first place. But God, that it was always about you and your son and what he did. And so as we work through Holy Week, as we move towards Easter, as maybe we get an extra opportunity to talk to our friends about you this week, that we would be ready for that type of a conversation and that we would also be ready to explain to people that you are the greatest and that we are just trying our best. Lord, help us do our best every day. Keep us humble. Keep us hungry for knowledge and wisdom and for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.